Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live... F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by CanadianEFest.com. Get your tickets for the Vancouver E-Prix now. Check the show notes for links, and we'll give you more details later. The title of today's show is, If We Stay Ahead of Second Place, We Will Be First, and that is provided by Ripe Plums Tasty on Twitter. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? I'm certainly not grinning ear to ear because there was so much talk about tires today. Yeah, we will do a tire special, but if you don't mind, we'll leave all the tire chat out of today's show. Well, I mean, yeah, I do kind of mind. (laughs) I'm only kidding. Of course, that will play a part in today's show. I have to say I enjoyed that race because I I couldn't call it. I couldn't like predict what was going to happen. I know it was a bit less complicated up front, but it was one of those races, kind of like a Singapore or a Monaco, where for different reasons there, obviously, drivers are hanging on to their tyres. And that kind of extends out that waiting period in the first stint. And it can kind of kill the spectacle of a race. And it was one of those races today, but it was still like a strategically tense race. Yeah. And one of the things that's nice about this like you say, that you don't always get, is it wasn't just everyone riding around on train waiting for someone's tires to go pop. We had some very different approaches to tire strategy in the race, and it's going to be fun to talk about them. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Like Russia, I think I'm kind of just relieved that we've got a bit more of a break from Hamilton and Verstappen crashing into each other because... You know, it's it's exciting when things like that happen, when, when Monza kicks off. But I had said to myself, the next time that Verstappen and Hamilton come together, and they will, I'm going to put my phone in the fridge, do the show without looking at any social media, and then I was only going to get the phone out of the fridge on, like, Wednesday. That sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And my wife said to, my wife said to me, she said, uh, well, it was not a very good race. I said, why? She said, oh, I didn't hear you shouting very much. 
Ah, well, I guess if that's how you rate a race, then (laughs) fair enough. That's how she rates it. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining us from the Palace of Lizards, it's Kyle Edgy Power. How's it going, Kyle? Not seen you for a little while. Yeah, seems like a while since I've been on. I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy. We've got a bit of boss-ass love going on, and we can have a whole show of not having to say anything bad about him, which is great, and I'm also extremely honoured to be in such esteemed company. I, I understand that reference, but I'm also <laughs> not going to explain it. However, Kyle, um, I'm glad you didn't say botty time. So, Oh, well, I've just said it, so I've ruined it. I was going to retire the phrase because it's somewhat ah, okay. disrespectful. I'm, I could have made an even worse one today and almost said it just now and thought better of it. So, no, there's going to be lots of bot-ass praise here. Fair enough. And also we have our resident Viking. We have Christian, God of Thunder Pedersen, joining us from Denmark. How's it going, Christian? Uh, I accept the name. I accept the picture. And I enjoy being with you guys tonight. It was a great race, wasn't it? Are you sure he's not the God of Mischief sometimes? Ah, uh, Yes. Christian Loki Pedersen, that could be it. Let's look at qualifying. Now, the reason I wanted to just dip back into qualifying a little bit, Matt, was because there were some key things that set up this race. A new internal combustion engine for Lewis Hamilton, only 10 places. I'm assuming they think they can probably go the rest of the season without changing the other two, or maybe they wait till, I don't know, they're 25 points ahead. But it was also the same for Daniel Ricciardo as well. And uh, and no, that's what you put in the notes. Well, Ricciardo, or Ricardo as I like to call him, took all the bits and bobs, I believe I've borrowed the the phrase correctly from you, Uh, whereas Lewis only took the internal combustion engine. So that would be the difference there. Okay, but they both took engine penalties. And Carlos signs as well, some kind of penalty. Uh, Science 2 took a complete new power unit, meaning internal combustion and all the rest of the bits. Yeah, so that set us up nicely. And what I wanted to ask my esteemed colleague Kyle here is, uh, do we know what happened to Danny Rick? Because I was in a debate at some on a, on a different show uh, a little earlier in the week when I was saying, oh, I think, you know, Danny Rick, Ricardo is, is starting to just put in performances and be a bit more competitive. And I I was not agreed with universally on that panel. And then as if to prove me instantly wrong, he then dumps out of Q1. Um, I think it was a bit unfortunate in qualifying for Danny Rick. I mean, let's face it, McLaren weren't looking as competitive as they have been in the last few races. Anyway, all three practice Norris said they were struggling and they just weren't fast enough. Um, Danny Rick was struggling in uh, comparatively compared to Norris, but he wasn't on track at the right time. It was the classic adage of being on track at the right time. And they went a bit too early. And as the weather and the track was clearing up, it was the last across the line was the fastest. Hence, we saw some freak results. Go on, ask me who was last across the line in that session. Oh, who was it, Matt? Carlos Sainz. Meaning Ferrari knocked him out on purpose. Oh, very interesting. I thought it would have been um, young young Schumacher because he did an unbelievable job to put that into Q2. Yes, he did. But uh, Sainz was the last one to cross the line and get that time. Obviously, without doubt, the highlight of all the pre-race sessions was, did you see it? 
Did you see that magnificent spin by Max Verstappen? Have you ever, Kyle, in your life seen somebody spin as magnificently as that? I'm so glad the commentary team called it out because it really showed how amazing he was that he spun but ended up not quite spinning as badly as he could have spun. A champion spin. It was a champion spin. Um, it was a it was a delightful spin. Um, there is, as silly as it may sound, there is somewhat of a skill in recovering, well, not spinning itself, but recovering from the spin and looking nice and smooth and going away. But that was quite funny, the um, disparity in, in the commentary of watching somebody else spin and like, oh, he's lost the rear, he's made a mistake here, and then lauding Verstappen for spinning. But, you know, Fair enough. It was a very nice recovery. I'm not going to deny that. That was a nice spin. I don't want to waste more time on it, but I'll just tell you that the BBC coverage treated it slightly different than the Sky coverage. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's fair to say. Let's move on. Okay, let's uh, get into the meat of things. Let's get into the the racy side of things, Matt, at MattPT55. And this is the point where you tell us where the race was won and lost. Okay, here's my plan, Matt. I've got a cunning plan. I've got a, I've got a plan more cunning than a Ferrari pit wall attempting to win a race with a zero stop. Okay. Um, okay. All years. So what I want to do is I want to I want to cover. We do one and lost. I want to do it amongst the top three for most of the race. So I want to do it among Leclerc, Bottas, and Verstappen because they are they are the three that could have realistically won the race. I know Perez got a podium, but that was from Leclerc going back. So that's why I want to do one and lost, and then I want to go back and I want to cover Hamilton's journey from the grid all the way up to the Perez encounter, and then back again and i think that will help us cover ground in a logical way so where was the race won and lost at the top well um naturally if we're going to talk about people on the podium we're going to have to talk about sergio perez and for me at least the critical moment came for him on lap 35 when he had that amazing defense of hamilton And the reason that mattered so much, number one, is it cost Hamilton a big chunk of time. It wouldn't be the first thing that cost him time, but it was also important because it cleared Max Verstappen's pit window, meaning Max could pit and come out ahead of Perez and ahead of Hamilton. And as soon as that job was done, and this is really why it matters, as soon as that job was done, Perez himself was free to pit for tires with the rest of the leaders. And as we're going to see, that's going to be critical in who wound up on the podium and who didn't. Verstappen, entire race was made by having that pit window that Perez created for him. And it also created the opportunity for Perez to be on on the podium. Um, Okay. And that meant that once Verstappen pitted, Botas was free to also follow him and cover him off. Now, Botas had been having a great race. He was not under any real threat at that point. But the person who didn't do anything there, and this is, this is important, is Leclerc opted to stay out and try and manage the gap to the end of the race on his enters. He, he tried to no-stop it. All right. Look, let's, let's focus in on, on Botas, and we'll, we'll, go to, we'll go to Christian because, you know, Finland, Denmark, mm-hmm. 
uh, loving relationship between... There is a relation. Your two great neighbours. A relationship does exist. <laughs> so we love Finnish people. We love Swedish people. We love all people. We're Danes. And uh, but Bottas has not been getting a, a lot of love. And the confidence level that he could hold off Verstappen was, was really low. Um, and I don't think anyone could quite have predicted the confidence and assuredness of that performance today. I think pretty much the the track the track uh, the, uh, the, the slippery situation defined how the top three just drove the half. Well, maybe first half of the race. Uh, I think Max Verstappen said uh, after the race that um, uh, the most difficult part was staying awake. So, I mean, it was. I think it was a very controlled race by the top three, all the way through, basically, because uh, you couldn't really do much, could you, if you wanted to? I, I don't. I think the the, the Merck was uh, superior to the Red Bull on this track. So, did uh, Verstappen even? I mean, could he do anything uh, towards Bottas? I think he think to Max. I don't think so either. Sorry. I think I think um, Bottas's drive was was excellent considering because he's not known as a wet weather driver driver at all and i do think he could have maybe taken it to bottas yes granted mercedes appear to have the advantage this weekend but verstappen was clearly in a managing phase for the first little bit of the race but then he did i think it was around about lap 12 or 13 he did then start putting the pressure on bottas and pushing and i genuinely thought he was just going to cruise up behind him and put one of these late breaks classic like a great verstappen move on him yeah and passing, but didn't. Bottas had the tools to respond and he didn't make any mistakes where he could have done. So I was really impressed by that. I think most of the F1 world, it sounds horrible, not were, were expecting Bottas to make a mistake, snatch a front tyre somewhere and let Verstappen through, but he didn't. He was absolutely rock solid. But don't you think the, the, the Merck car was superior to the Red Bull on this track, maybe by four, five tenths or something like that? I think it probably probably was, yes. But Which then it's still so easy for him to then snatch a break and he didn't. He was still solid in my eyes. True, yeah. true, what true. we're in danger of doing, Matt, is like being ruiners and spoiling a good result. I, I didn't like that the first question that he was asked after the race was, you know, not well done on today's victory. The microphone was put in front of his face and gone, like, it's been ages. You know, it's been, God, first, first win for a year, that. Yeah, finally. God, what have you, you know, what have you been playing at? And I think we are in, in danger of doing down what was a good victory. But does Christian have a, a point? on putting a little bit of, of creme fraiche on, on the, the fire of the Bottas win? I don't think so. Um, I mean, I think he's correct. I think uh, Red Bull clearly, and especially with Verstappen, struggled with the car. I think actually Perez managed to come to a better balance and use of his car overall. Um, and also, don't forget that, that Verstappen had some issues during the race. He had some error messages going off. He had his steering left hand down, he said, about halfway through the race. So, no, I don't think we got a 100% Red Bull car. But that said, I think Kyle is absolutely correct, especially in conditions like this. It's not about how fast your car is. It's about whether or not you can provoke the other driver into a mistake. And at no, at no point whatsoever did it look like Max was going to be able to do that. I also think that the, the 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 wetness of the track and how it didn't really dry and it didn't really get any wet or anything the situation on track made it a lot more difficult to do anything like be aggr- aggressive driving or go offline. It was just, uh, everyone was kind of like, what is going on with this track? It's not dry. It's not wet. It's. And this is what I was talking about in the intro, Matt. It was like a, it was a holding pattern 
for the longest time. And it's really telling, Christian highlighting there, that Verstappen was talking about staying awake because they, that holding pattern did go on basically for two thirds of the race. Well, at the front it did. But again, I would point you at, for example, the Hamilton-Perez battle lap 35 is an example of, yes, you can go offline. And later on, we're going to talk about our friend Carlos Sainz, who did no small amount of overtaking at the beginning and middle stages of the race. But where I've left you and what I want to get to next is lap 47. And this is why, and I think Kyle will agree with me, we need to be praising the Botas. Okay. And not with the faint praising either, if you catch Madrift. And that's because that's the lap where Botas caught Leclerc and just whipped by him. He overtook him on a track, no crashes, no mistakes, no tires in the grass to mess with him. He overtook Leclerc legitimately for the lead of the race. Okay, wait, wait now. Hang on a minute. <laughs> Again, I don't want to be the ruiner, but I am going to be. It looks like we've got, <laughs> we've got Team Bottas here, haven't we, and Team Ruiner. We've got Team Ruiner with me and Christian and, uh, and you two. On. <laughs> Go Ruiners. But obviously there's a, a massive tyre differential, and we're going to have this same discussion, I think, when, it, when it's Hamilton ahead of Perez. Leclerc is only there, Christian, because they take that gamble. So, yes, a great overtake on track, but they've got a massive <clears throat> tyre difference at that point. At that point, there was like uh, it wasn't like a drying line. There wasn't like a dry line all the way through, but there was a drying line, if you could say so. And Leclerc was on uh, the old tires, if I'm not uh, wrong, and Bottas was on new tires, and he could go off the line uh, way better than uh, than Leclerc. He had to hold his line basically to 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 drive those uh, tires at that point. I think that gave him an advantage, but. I, I'm not going to uh, pull down Bottas because I totally respect <laughs> his late. victory today. He's no. a great racing driver, but uh, <laughs> it, I'm, I'm not in the skies. Yeah, I, Kyle, that's, that, 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 it was just the overtake and that being like, a, oh, he, he you know, smashed past him on track. Leclerc was doing a, you know, a Hail Mary move, which, which by that point wasn't working out because he'd already had a, a bunch of offs. That's all. What I found really impressive with the Bottas move was where he did it. And it was into turn one, which is a short braking zone, downhill, off camber. He had to, yes, he had the fresh tyres, but he had to go offline for that. And it wasn't like he powered past him on the straight. There was still some car overlap by the time they got to the braking zone. And he's still, you know, um, he's still finding his feet. And it's and it's not usually a place that's easy to pass. So I saw him go in and thought he was going to go fly off the track and go wide. Similar with Perez when he's defending against Hamilton. So that I thought on its own was quite impressive from Bottas. He didn't mess around. He had half a chance and took it in a difficult place and executed it perfectly. So uh, before you continue past this overtake, Matt, what what I think this does show, this kind of race, is that when Bottas is in that in a position where you know he he was the focus of the team as far as wins go. I know they would have been pushing and uh, willing Lewis Hamilton up the field. But this is the sort of drive you need to do to pick up those championships when you're the number one driver in a, in a, in a great team that has a car advantage. So today we saw him managing a win with a car advantage. Every time Verstappen thought he was doing well, you know, they were saying to him, your tyres are better than the Mercedes tyres. All right, let's push on now. But when they did that, Bottas responded. So in another universe, in another time, you, you could see Bottas pulling a a 2013 Vettel or, or a 2011 Vettel 
or all of Schumacher's titles and just taking home that. Oh, don't please don't at me. Uh, taking home uh, Kyle at mistapex.net. Taking home a, a championship. <laughs> so th- this is where you know we have to kind of understand that Bottas is essentially driving someone else's car. He has been left out as fodder. Uh, he has been used uh, to just you know uh, to to uh, allow Lewis to go through, or he has been sometimes left out simply so they could have a, a split strategy and hold up someone behind. So, yeah, I'm just saying that I think we're seeing like a little shadow, a little echo of futures that never happened of, of what might have been with Bottas. And I think equally important why he has been on that team for so long, because they generally feel like they can count on him to do that when called upon. And yeah, I know this season has been a little challenging with regards to that. Because, Kyle, the times that they've asked him to fight Verstappen has been when he's been left out on tyres forever, and then they're like, oh, he barely put up a defence. He's driving around with, like, metal showing through this, through his tyres. And you could argue the other way. Yes, we've been praising him, but those other occasions where he has been sort of, as you say, sort of thrown under the bus in the strategy sense was because he wasn't fast enough to get himself out of the position yeah. to be used as such. And this time, he was obviously nowhere going not going to be anywhere near a position to try to back anybody up or do anything like that. So, yeah. so yeah, he put himself in the number one position to not be used. So I agree with that. Are we happy with that, Matt? Car advantage with Hamilton in 10th, but just did a brilliant job still. Yeah, I think Botas did an absolutely brilliant job. And we haven't even talked about how good his start was. Tell me about his start. I want to hear it too, Matt. Yeah, no, I I think we like we need to do that again. Like, so it seemed like it was my idea, and then like (laughs) let let me let me let me do it again. Anyway, Matt, um, tell us about uh, Bottas's start that put him in such a great position. It was utterly immaculate. There he was on the wet pavement, no wheel spin at all, well ahead of Verstappen into turn one, no drama whatsoever. And we've seen Mercedes, both Mercedes struggle with starts from time to time, and on especially to me. On a wet grid, it's very impressive because you know the pressure is there. You know they told him, no matter what, we want you ahead of Verstappen at the end of turn one. And and yet, boom, cool is the veritable cucumber. Off he went. Yeah, especially with, with Hamilton not having done particularly great starts. I know, Kyle, you've done a certain amount of like UK track type events and a lot of karting. So you've done a lot of starting a car in, in the rain. What additional challenge is there? when it's wet underfoot um basically just throttle control and bum feel <laughs> you're just how how hard do you dare stamp on that pedal um usually just tried to short shift and it's with the clutch bias we've seen lewis getting wrong on a couple of occasions this year not getting a great launch or getting some wheel spin and stuff he it was prime for it he was sitting there in the wet that was an easy start to screw up and he didn't it was it was absolutely beautiful. They said on the commentary that he started in the second phase of the start, but I didn't see that. I just see him get a decent launch. And Verstappen got a good launch as well. I I can't remember the last time Verstappen got a bad start. He seems to be the best one out of all of them yeah. at starting. I yeah. I can't remember a Verstappen bad start, actually. So uh, Summers can't win comment of the week, but Matthew Summerfield is in our live chat and has just said when Bottas has a good race, it's like an episode of Marvel's What If. It was exactly like that. It was like, oh, what if? Bottas was the lead driver at Mercedes with a car advantage. Yeah, Captain Valtteri. All right, Matt, sorry, I interrupted your one and lostness. Well, 
that is okay because we have discussed lap 47 where Botas made the pass that won him the race. Although likely Leclerc would have just wound up blowing up his tires. Um, judging by the way Alcon's looked at the end of the race. Um, but what I want to talk about is that decision for Leclerc to stay yes. out. Yeah. Because this is the final nail in where the in the hinge. This is what puts the whole hinge of the race together. Leclerc opts for the alt strategy, and it makes sense. Ferrari doesn't have the same car as Red Bull or Mercedes. He's got a pit stop advantage if he can just manage those tires. But what I do want to point out is that all of the other leaders, except for Hamilton, who is the only other player in this drama, came in between lap 37 and 40. And if you will go back and look at the outcomes of those drivers, with the sole exception of Ocon, the drivers that pitted between 37 and 40 did the best. Earlier than that, boom, Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo. Later than that, Hamilton, Leclerc. Again, you missed your window. And that's, and we'll talk about it in the tire section. That's because of how the tires were operating today on this particular track. Steve, edit out the tire section later when you get hold of the, the video. Uh, Kyle. Yeah, um, I was surprised that Leclerc took that decision, considering that Ferrari this year has been well known for absolutely munching its tires and destroying its tires. So if any car was going to take the decision, that was probably the ballsiest one out of all of them. But then but then again, they he thought he had a chance to win the race. So why not? But but let's not forget the Ferrari's arguably the hardest car on its tires. Yeah, well, what's interesting, and you bring this up, and I love this, is that he was not that far behind Verstappen when Verstappen pitted. And and it's almost like an echo of that Norris win it or bin it with his tire decision. You know, it's like, well, we could pit behind Max and maybe have a chance to catch him, or you could stay out and you might win the whole thing. And that's what they did. If he could have held Bottas behind him, I think he had stayed out. Don't you think? I mean, if he could just at least have challenged him for like five, six laps or something like that, but it was way too easy for Bottas to overtake the clerk. So, I mean, in the car, I would feel like, okay, let's go for the pit. And I think the pit wall would, would think basically the same when you say he then. Kyle. Yeah. Are you Leclerc? Are you a Leclerc Fossey type person? Are you a Leclerc fan? Yes, I am. Is it because he, he was handed that five year contract at Ferrari and he was meant to be the, the second coming of 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 uh, mm. Fangio and Schumacher. He was meant to be the next one. He was ordained to be so. Mistakes creeping in, signs looking competitive against him. And although, yes, he's being asked to do a difficult job going out there on, on worn inters, the other guys who stayed out weren't making the amount of mistakes he was making up front. He's leading a Grand Prix. He's six seconds ahead. It's not inconceivable at that point that they managed to survive without going off a cliff. But that, that gap came down really quickly because he he just stuffed it off a couple of times. That is a very good point. Uh, it was twice into the final complex. He had he had a couple of big moments in today and probably lost about five or six seconds overall as a result of them. Um, there have been some mistakes. Uh, I am a Charles Leclerc fan. I think it's hard not to be, really. He seems like a thoroughly nice chap. Very um, nice young but, man. Yeah, but only half a point, I believe, it is between him and Sainz in the teammate battle. And I think it's more um, 
it's more a nod to how well science has done this year. And I read somewhere as an article that apparently there might be some Ferrari tensions brewing, which I don't, <gasps> I don't know anything more about. Tensions at Ferrari? I can totally believe that. I, I, I think I was right about this, Christian. I know we're going back into the past a little bit, but you could almost feel the change at Ferrari when Vettel was no longer the golden boy. You could feel that. And Joe Sayward, you told me, Uncle Joe, you told me I was mad when I said that. And then suddenly Leclerc gets his five-year contract and suddenly Vettel's car like it doesn't perform well anymore. So it's not unheard of. Have we got another tension moment at Ferrari? I don't think we do, but uh, that's just my thoughts. I, when, uh, I think when they, when they uh, realised that Binotto was staying, something happened in Ferrari. So, sort of like a calmness uh, came over the, uh, the entire team. And I've, I see Ferrari these days... In sort of like the same form McLaren was a couple of years ago, where Carlos and Lando was building up these two young guys. And I think actually Carlos has brought a lot of that to the team and Leclerc already had that. So these two young guys, I think, I, I feel like they're vibing. So if things are going good at the factory, I see Ferrari going on a high note next year. I see them bringing a lot of like fan love and respect in, in just progressing, basically. Um, Matt. Well, I was going to say, I'm not sure I see the tension at Ferrari between Leclerc and Sainz, but I could absolutely see Ferrari being tense over having two drivers that closely matched. <laughs> oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? Meanwhile, you know, they're just like out having fun and driving their cars. I love that car. Oh no, what are we going to do about two drivers that are equally matched? Why don't we just do what we always do and hobble one of the cars to, you know, the, you know, the, the, the massa maneuver. Yeah, um, I'll be surprised. I was very surprised reading that article that 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 they um there might be tension there. And as you say, Bonotto, and as uh, Christine said, Bonotto staying. There is a calmness. I think Ferrari have broken their guillotine and they have decided not to repair it or get another one, and it's serving them well. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I'll clip that one out for social media tomorrow. Ferrari and their and their guillotine. <laughs> so I think what's fair to say here, uh, Matt, is that realistically, we now know in hindsight that Leclerc probably didn't have a shot at victory. But it was definitely worth a, a roll of the dice. And I, I don't think it's a 10 out of 10 for Leclerc for then dealing with that that particular situation. That's all. Yeah, I mean, to me, his most realistic chance was uh, getting close to Verstappen, who seemed to be having some issues and maybe pressuring him for a second. I think, I think Botas had this thing sewed up from, you know, very early on. Yeah, and they they gave up. I did love that that call. You know, where can we finish? Where can we finish? Well, if we stay ahead of Bottas, we'll win. Like, no, no, really, really, come on, man, come on, Derek. Like, you can do better than that. But uh, yeah, so as soon as Bottas got past, they just went, "All ah, right, bin it." And then you know, so they really it was all or nothing, glory shot. And I I cannot begrudge a midfield team taking their shot at victory. Yeah, and, and I do want to point out, I, I mean, I know Hamilton finished fifth. He, he wasn't going to win the race, but, but he was potentially podium-ish. But he too, it, he absolutely ignored his team's pleas to pit. And that's why I say that box around lap 37 to 40 was so critical, because anyone inside that box who was at the front was there at the end playing for the podium positions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think that covers our covers us for the top three. It was the least kind of dynamic battle, 
were up and down the grid. There was loads going on behind. There was Carlos Sainz charging up um, at one point, just taking over one car per corner. I, I predicted he was going to win on lap four after his start, Kyle, but uh, it wasn't to be. It did stall, and then he ended up having a actually a poor pit stop as well. Yeah, it was a fascinating race, and I've seen a few people say on social media that it was a boring race or it wasn't a banger, but I completely disagree because at any point in that race, it could have dried up, rained, other strategies could have come into play. It was on edge the entire time. It wasn't a Barcelona from the mid-noughties where a miracle would have to happen to change the result. The result could have changed at a split second at any time, and that's why that race was a great race. And with the track conditions the way they were, it wasn't just drying out. Sometimes it got a little bit wetter and only in certain places. I mean, it was a huge test of driver skill and ability to judge things because the engineers were beyond telemetry really being helpful at that point. I know we're going to talk about tires in a moment, but... Uh, no, the we're not. It's okay. We can skip it. If we run out of time, we can skip it. <laughs> you can just cut this out as well, Steve. <laughs> uh, the fact that, that Fettel tried the dry tire, I mean... He he was on the tr- actual track driving the car, and he still did it. I mean, that says a lot about how how incredibly difficult it was well, to basically I know think what's on the there. track. Might be an exaggeration. Yeah, you, you'll give <laughs> yeah, me on that particular uh, round, that's true. So that didn't work. I I was calling that a hail Jensen earlier. That's what he he went for. It. He went to throw a hail Jensen, but it ended up in row Z. That didn't work. Not quite as bad as. Uh, Toro Rosso starting a dry race on full wets at Silverstone, I think, <laughs> a few seasons back. But it was close. But somebody in the midfield had to take that that gamble to go and give it a go on slicks. I I, I can't begrudge it too much, Carl, because had that come off, they we'd be sitting here going, Aston Martin are geniuses. They're so much better off without Brad, without engineer Brad, who's off on a, a farm for race engineers. Sorry, Carl, then Matt. <laughs> absolutely. It's... Yeah, it was a classic case of nothing to lose, everything to gain. Um, the only thing he lost was a little bit of his dignity, maybe, yeah, I was, yeah, I was <laughs> because he's spinning in, like, um, in the gravel thing. But, like, it was a crazy decision. I, I think even the commentary team, they just sort of double looked, and it wasn't even onto the soft tyres. It was onto the medium tyres, which were even harder to warm up. It yeah. did seem like a lunacy, but they had the chance. They are like, right, if we pays off, we are going to be looking like heroes. If not, you're going to be looking like a bit of a wally in a gravel trap somewhere. But, you know, it went that way in the end. It was fascinating to me. Vettel was in 10th place. So, yeah, they had an entire point to lose. Nah. Oh, didn't know that. I thought he was out the points. Nope. He was ahead of Ocon at that, at that moment in the race. And I listened. I told Spanners I was going to do this. I went back and listened to the onboards because I was, like, curious. I was like, would a four-time world champion really decide to make that? Because every other driver radio I heard was like, no, 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 no. Please, can I pause? Please, can I caveat? The views yep. you are about to hear are of Matt Trumpets and do not represent the wider opinions of Mist Apex Podcast, Spanners Ready, or Mist Apex uh, Productions as a whole. Carry on, Matt, carry on. However, they are absolutely correct. Thank you very much. Um, so I went back to listen to the radio, thinking that surely Aston Martin must have said, let's try you on some slicks and just to see if it might work for, you know, one of their other drivers. Although he might have already pitted. So if that's the case, never mind I said that. but. On the radio, this is literally my best impression. Now, Verstappen's on enters. All right. Uh, Sainz is on enters. All right. Ricardo's been on enters a while, and he's going really fast. All right. We have a pit window. What about the hard? I mean, what about slicks? Oh, let's go on the mediums. Less. Let's bet it. Let's do it. 
that's that's literally the conversation. I just I was like, okay, then, fair enough. So what? you have chosen your poison. Mm, I like it. KP. I don't know if you noticed, but it was the grass that stopped Fettel's car when he spun uh, going into the uh, the pit. So when the grass is stopping the car better than the tarmac, I mean, yeah, pretty slippery. I wasn't a good call. I'm not going to begrudge it, Kyle. To be honest, he did really well to actually get it back to the pit lane he and did. in the pit lane intact. It looked absolutely well, he, impossible. He spun in the pit lane as well. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's hopeless. I mean, I remember playing the old F1 games when I was trying to risk something like that and it goes and it's just hopeless. Um, so I was, I didn't expect him to actually get back to the pits and that, how scary must that have been? He was stationary on the apex of turn eight, just like, oh my God. And he had to get out of the way because I think it was um, an Alpine. It was either Alonso or Ocon on his inside, just shoved up the inside. I genuinely thought he was going to cause a crash there. Yeah. Well, you'd be happy to know I've just double checked and indeed Stroll pitted lap 39 and our friend Vettel pitted on lap 36 for the slick tire. So if you were into tinfoil millinery, you're full steam ahead on that one. Allegedly. Oh, you mean like um, like McLaren did with Ricardo and pitted him early to sacrifice him to see what the new Inters are going to be like for Norris? Yeah. Yeah, I think the entire grid appreciated that one. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Everybody else got a, got a look in. Hey, look, but look, we were holding station for so long, somebody had to, at various points, be the one to tell people whether or not to go. So if Ricardo would come out and been getting great times, which it looked for a second like he was getting really good times. So momentarily, if you were watching the timing screen, it looked like Ricardo was a second faster than Norris. It looked like Norris was off the cliff and Ricardo was banging in laps. But it was because Norris had just had like a little half spin um, and an off. So there was excitement for a second with us in our in our live chat in the Slack group. Uh, sort of going, oh, this could be it. This could be the crossover. But actually, everybody that went out and tried to do something different ended up being effectively punished, and that kept the leaders out. Now, I do want to get to the Hamilton charge up the field, and I do want to get to that uh, fabulous, delicious Hamilton-Perez battle as well. Before we do that, Matt, just a couple of minutes, give us a, a primer on on the tyres and the things you wanted to say. And don't worry, they definitely won't be edited out. I wouldn't do that to you. Sure. Go on, do your tires thing. Just say the things about the tires. They're round, right, well, they're black, they wear out. They are. Um, I had had, a, I'd done a whole thing. I thought it, in terms of strategy, but we've sort of already gone there. You had the early stoppers, which are represented by Ricardo. He you know, finished P13, lost two places on the last lap to Alfa Romeo's because uh, he pitted early. And then you have your winners, that would be the Botas group that all pitted between lap 37 and 40. And then you have your late guys, which would be Hamilton and Leclerc, who pitted between 47 and 50. And again, they lost places. They lost out by being late. And really the only person who sort of made the most of staying out all the way would be our friend Alcon, who went full yard on those tires. First person to do it since, Kyle, you remember? Anis in the Monaco Grand Prix in 1996. What? Oh, I hate people like you, Carl. I hate people who are like, oh, yeah, in, in 1842, uh, Frederick van Doffelhaus <laughs> did a whole stint on a Mars bar. I, I, I clearly didn't read it on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> I think it was 97, but... I thought it was 96, the one that Panis won, because he was always going to run out of fuel, but I could be wrong, never mind. Uh, well, I don't know. It was, in our, it was in our WhatsApp, but regardless, it's been a while since someone has done that. Um, and then of course, Vettel choosing the wrong tire and 
on the whole was just entertaining and clearly a demonstration. We were never going to get to the crossover point. And that was the first great question that I wanted to get into was why was there no crossover? I mean, we saw Pirelli go, yeah. oh, minute 34 is crossover times. I started seeing those times by lap 10 or 12. And I think the reason is those crossover times were based on older data. And this newer track was much, much grippier. So even though it was too wet to put slicks on, it was grippy enough that the times we were given as crossover times were, were too high, essentially. Probably maybe like 128s would have been a better, a better guess at that. Car, stupid question that I'm risking here. Is there only one Inter that Pirelli could pick? Uh, so the way it works, Pirelli has one Inter for sort of these mixed conditions. And then when it's full on bucketing down, they have the full wets, which are the blue tires. So the only they did, tire they available did change to them, them, didn't they, for this year? The, the intermediate, didn't they make them a bit softer? Or was it last year? I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember, but they, they have regularly updated those tires True. as the amount of downforce on the cars has changed. Uh, although everyone hates the full wets. Um, actually, hilariously, Vettel in his radio said that he thought the mediums would be, couldn't be any worse than the enters, although subsequent events did prove him wrong. Um, but what I really want to talk about is why we saw sort of this performance of these tires. We saw Ricardo come out on fresh tires and not really be all that fast. And then suddenly we see him faster later on. And that's because the, all the tires, um, because of the cold track temperatures, went through a graining phase. Uh, okay, yeah, this this bears some some explanation. Uh, so Carl, why don't you come in what you're going to say, and then uh, I want uh, Matt to explain the graining, because that was crucial at the end. Well, I was going to go on and say something about the graining itself. So, well, in that yes. case, Matt, you're sacked. Kyle, tell us about the graining. <laughs> um, the, the cold temperatures added to it, but what I thought, it was was they were in no man's land really so it was too dry for the intermediates to work properly and the new intermediates have a lot of meat and rubber on them the meat and rubber moves around and produces temperature and they overheat and start graining and and as it's meeting the track the the surface is just balling up and just graining off and blistering off the surface um and just great so it was too dry for them if it was wetter it would have been fine but that's why the people on the older intermediates were coping better at first because they'd, they'd lost sufficient meat off of their tires that they were in a nice happy sort of temperature window and they weren't getting graining this is why hamilton did not want to pick because he knew this graining phase was going to come and that's why the people who pitted around lap 37 had time to bring those tires in and they all yeah. went through that phase at the same time so you didn't really see anybody making progress now, what Kyle is referring to is um i think encompassed very nicely in a tweet that alex brundle sent out saying so interesting new winters have loads of rubble rubber and instantly overheat wear a bit lose some temp sweet spot they like it then at the end when the tread thins out they don't clear the water they lose all their temperature and they're nowhere so as the last of that tread wears off the tires can't maintain their temperature anymore and they go out of their performance window so what this is really all about is having the tires at the correct temperature for the biggest percentage of the race and if you did that then you had a good result hamilton went on to the tire so late he was never going to get to the other side of the graining phase same for leclerc and that's why they lost out at the end 
Alk on. I mean, uh, I, if you saw the picture of his tire, you could see it was basically down to the canvas at that point. Another lap, and they would have just gone pop. Oh, God, everyone's that, that, got more points that, on this. Why? Jeez. Okay, fine. <laughs> Christian, then Kyle. I will just say, I saw Ocon's tyre, and I have run a domestic car down to that point all the way to the canvas and then have it go pop. Uh, but, okay, Christian, then Kyle. That picture of Ocon's tyre, uh, that had to be a flat spot. That that could not just have been, like, a, a normal uh, yeah. wear because that, he would have had... Bad tires and made a fault or something and had a flat t- uh, flat spot that that could not be normal wear. Right. So the last thing I want to say about this is for for those of you who are still, yeah. The last thing I want to say about this is for those of you um, who are still a little confused about graining. The easiest way to think of it, and I got to thank Scarves for this, is just like when you have an eraser on a pencil and you erase something, those little balls. Now imagine them between your tire and the road, and that's where the problem comes. I actually think during this pit stop um, phase, I can't remember, did they use the intermediates at all during the weekend where they didn't have to give the tyres back? Because what I was shouting at the TV was a good tyre to put on now would be a part-worn inter, nicely heated, nicely warmed in the blankets, a semi-worn inter, so you're in the middle of not a brand new one and not a slick one. I think that would have been a good option, but I, I don't think any of the teams had any scrubbed inters available. All right, we're going to move on to Lewis Hamilton's charge up the field. I just would like to take a small moment to ask you to check out next year's Formula E race in Vancouver. You know, Matthew Carter, the guy who gives us lots of great scoops here on uh, Diaries of an F1 Boss. Well, he is a fully bona fide Formula FIA Formula E promoter, and he is running the Vancouver e So I would like you to go and check it out. Even if you can't go and get there, go and check out the website because... He's taken a, a, a full weekend approach, which I love. There's concerts, there's uh, there's uh, loads of different races, there's a celebrity e-car race. He's gone all out, and, and uh, so far the sales are going really well, but there's still tickets available. It's going to be an amazing weekend of festivities in downtown Vancouver, and I am doing everything I can to get an, an invite to go down there. So check out canadianefest.com for all the details the weekend is called the canadian efest because it includes that celebrity race an esports tournament as well as round 10 of the fia formula e world championship the vancouver e prix the festival will also include a two-day business conference thrilling focusing on all things related to climate change sustainability and the electrification of mobility tickets start at 25 canadian dollars which i believe is about a quid so there's something for everyone there's travel packages there's hotel packages there please support our friend matthew carter Uh, check out the site and get a ticket to an amazing weekend celebrating all things electric with a big slice of fun and entertainment as well tickets went on sale last friday they're selling fast make sure you get there now before it's too late don't miss out don't have fomo go to canadianefest.com the link is in the show notes below so give that a click and check it out blimey can we talk about hamilton and perez yet i've been a good boy 46 minutes we're sat here talking about all the other drivers don't matter at all. I'm allowed, aren't I? Can we talk about the Ham- Hamilton Perez bit now? Cool. Blimey. Waited ages. All right, cool. Hamilton. Reasonable start. Nice, steady start. Has to make his way through the field. And there's a lot of other driver's stories involved in Lewis Hamilton's charge forward. So quickly clears Vettel. 
And we'll get onto this later. Look at this. Mercedes-engined car. No real resistance. Then he comes up against fiery young Japanese Yuki Tsunoda, who looks impressive, had a good qualifying as well, and made actually quite a nuisance of himself, Kyle. He made a nuisance of himself like a Red Bull young driver trying to impress his bosses by holding up Max Verstappen's main title rival. He did indeed. But you say Vettel didn't put up too much resistance. He kind of did. I think Lewis went tried to go around the outside of him in oh, turn. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. In in turn three on the first lap and had to really back out. And I thought it, I thought they were going to come together. When it flicks away, I just instantly looked back up shot to see. Oh, I think Lewis is just about to pump Vettel off. Uh, um, right. <laughs> it didn't it didn't actually happen. One thing it massively highlighted was it's impossible to tell the difference from a long camera shot between the Alpha Tauris, the uh, Mercedes, and the Aston Martins. Right. I was getting very confused, very confused there. But Sonoda. Um, his first opening sort of seven, eight laps were absolutely brilliant, like faultless under pressure, yeah. drove, put the car on every, all the right bits of the you know, track and, and he didn't crumble under the pressure. Lewis was all over him and Snowder stood his ground. So uh, like it's Snowder's first half of the race was really, really yeah. strong before it all started going downhill, but it was really good. So I think, I think that was, that was quite key in this battle. I just want to say the reason that some people might've missed Vettel's resistance is because there is a habit on the broadcast of replaying the start from every angle at about lap two, Kyle. And, and I think that's why I initially might have missed that. Yeah. It's I'm maddening, pretty, isn't it? <laughs> I'm pretty triggered about that. And the last two Grand Prix, I've been screaming at the TV saying, I don't want to see a prolonged, long 40-second replay of somebody's start when there is action happening yeah. right in front of you and then have to go back on replays to watch replays of the action that we missed because we were watching replays because yeah. there's, there's so much time in stint one normally to, to allow for for, uh, for that kind of replay uh, but yeah matt sonoda's stint was critical to look let, let's look at this from the point of view at that point that hamilton was still trying to win i i think they were focused on still trying to win that get behind bottas and have bottas give up the win for hamilton to go there and they had three able lieutenants and the uh, and the general himself Red Bull general Max Verstappen to try and stop that charge. And Yuki Snowda was like the level one, the level one bad guy in Hamilton's game today. Yeah. And not necessarily to the benefit even of his own race at that point, because, uh, you know, as we later saw Norris just like, oh yeah. Oh, hi Hamilton. I'm not racing you. Bye Hamilton. Yeah, I <laughs> so I think very clearly that was like a Honda kind of thing. If you know what I mean. No, definitely. I, I think at this point, they would be absolutely nuts, both teams, if they weren't throwing everything at it. There will, there will be conversations, Carl, between Mercedes and Aston Martin and McLaren and obviously the, the Red Bull teams and any driver who fancies a future punt at a Red Bull seat. Oh, absolutely. Of course. I would be amazed if every one of the Honda drivers has not been sat down Sticking the junior teams and said, look, even if it compromises your race and your strategy for three or four laps, do everything you can to try to stop the Mercedes getting past. It's a championship fight. You have to utilise all of the tools available to you. Uh, Christian. Oh, you're scratching your eye. Sorry, Matt. Oh, Christian, go on then. Uh, I just uh, think Paris showed today that um, that he's the right man for the job. And I think uh, the entire Red Bull management will be like, yeah, we did the right thing signing this guy because he's... He's delivering. He can't keep up with uh, Verstappen, but it's basically the same as the infrastructure in uh, Mercedes. I'm just not thinking that Bottas has done the exact same thing that Paris did today during the year. And that is what makes the difference. It totally ruined Hamilton's race, yeah. and I loved it. Yeah, well, look, the, the whole Honda team 
the whole uh, Red Bull Honda team did their best to hold Lewis Hamilton up. So we'll get to Perez in just a second. The last point I really wanted to make was that Gasly and Sonoda both put up a defence. Sonoda's not a much better defender than Gasly, but it's the phase of the race that made the difference. And the ease with which Hamilton got past Gasly when he couldn't do that with Sonoda, to me, highlights just how much better the likes of the top teams, Kyle, are, are, are better at managing their tyres through the first stint. So I think the, the, the drivers that aren't as good as managing the tyres and the teams that aren't as good as the tyres really struggle in that first stint, where Hamilton in particular always looks so strong at the end of that first stint compared to other people and can give himself a tyre advantage. He struggled against Sonoda. Sonoda was still good on those tyres. By the time he got to Gasly, the tyre advantage was starting to show. Yep, I agree. And also there's a bit of managing your battery as well in your ERS deployment. So I think why it took Hamilton so long to get past Sonoda, I think because you only have a certain number of presses on the overtake button, I think Sonoda was probably spamming his overtake button, using it up. And that's why I think Hamilton was initially looked quite patient because he's probably thinking he's just deploying all the time. He will run out soon. I think by the time Hamilton got up to Gasly, he'd managed, Hamilton recovered some of his battery pack. And I think Gasly, as you said, was in a management phase, but also in a management of the battery phase as well. So I think Sonoda probably overused his battery to defend harder. Carl, how do you rate the overtake on Sonoda? Brilliant. Um, very, very good. Round the outside. Lovely. And he got he only got into position because I think Sonoda made a slight mistake at turn one. He went slightly wide. Otherwise, Lewis wouldn't have been wouldn't have been in that position. And I don't think Lewis was planning on a remove around the outside of a Toro Rosso if he could avoid it. He didn't want to go there, but he, he saw Sonoda make the mistake, got close enough, and we know how good Hamilton is overtaking around the outside, particularly in the wet. You've got less used tarmac there so you've got more grip offline so um it was it was a, a very very good move but a little bit risky i think he wanted to do it into the last complex really okay so awesome. yup in our uh, patron slack group support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex to join the live chat that's the way we're doing it at the moment yep says uh spanners you're talking about tires can i make something really clear i don't not like talking about tires i just dislike matt when matt talks about tires <laughs> that, that's all I, I would say no offence, but I realise that that's incredibly uh, offensive. But but Christian, you're completely correct to highlight, I think, what Perez was doing today. We know I'm a Perez fan. It's been very frustrating. I, I watch the lap times. I don't think anyone has watched Perez's race lap times more intently than I have on the live times <laughs> during races. The pace is, is generally there. A lot of times he's got stuck behind people. He's had a bad qualifying or he's made a mistake and it's not come together. Uh, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. 
That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. As a baseline today, I know, I know the conditions kind of suited him. You know, not not snappy oversteer, but you know, an understeering, maybe more patient approach worked. But we we did see like Perez in his element today, and. I'm just more relieved than anything because that that podium it should have come a couple of races back. Uh, I'm just I'm just relieved that it's come now. But it wasn't just uh, uh, him defending from Hamilton. It was always also where he uh, he put himself on the track compared to Verstappen and Bottas. The gap he uh, that was between the leaders and where Paris was. So it, I'm not sure if he did that on purpose. Uh, I'm pretty sure if, if Paris had the pace, he would be up on, up front. Uh, uh, willingly, but uh, it just seemed like they made the perfect race today, Red Bull, uh, for keeping Hamilton away. Uh, and it everything just worked out perfectly. I don't know if you guys saw today's DTM race. I know it's completely different, <laughs> but the leaders just drove into each other and race control had no control whatsoever. And uh, on the last lap, uh, the championship went to another guy. And that was because there was no race direction and people were just driving into each other. At least here we have, it's like mature drivers doing their best, the best way they can. And I like that. I think it was, uh, it was gentlemen racing today and the right people won. Yeah. And you have to say hats off to Red Bull. They, again, they got the strategy perfect. Their drivers didn't make any mistakes. And at a circuit, which they looked like they had a considerable pace disadvantage. Yeah. They've managed to outscore Mercedes and take, and take the championship lead again. So hats off Red Bull. They absolutely maximise their results. So p- pace or, or no, whoever's had the best pace this season, I do feel like Red Bull, and particularly Red Bull Verstappen, have, have just maximised everything they could have. And I, when we did our League of Justice for the car, I think the Mercedes car, if you forgive it for human errors, score, scores a lot more points. So again, I think you're right. Red Bull and their drivers did did maximise the results again, even with a weaker car. But Perez would not have been up there in that position had he not done what he had done at the start. He would have again been suffering from yet another poor qualifying. My my goodness, can they can they not do something? Like, what is... I don't understand why Perez... And someone else in our live chat said, I also stare at Checo's intervals unblinkingly the whole time. When I look at the, the race, I'm not a dissatisfied Perez fan. During qualifying, I'm just constantly throwing my hands up in the air. And he, and today, Kyle, he, he was good enough and, and lucky enough. We'll talk about it in a second to, to make up for that deficit. But it's a it's a it's a big issue. It is, and it's something we've seen with the second Red Bull drivers. Is the third second Red Bull driver now who has struggled here, and that just indicates well, one, it shows what a top job Verstappen is doing, and two, it indicates that that car is not an easy car to drive. It's on the edge. Ultimate pace is amazing, but to get that ultimate pace is really hard. It looks very on on the nose. Ironically, they were having understeer during um, during, during the practice. But yeah. Verstappen, in, in general, it looks quite on the nose and quite twitchy on the rear, and he can get it out. He can get the pace out of it without making mistakes. Now, the second drivers, 
they they're scared for their job. They want to put in a decent result, but they don't want to put it into the wall in qualifying. And they've got this tightrope to try to walk and mm. they're just simply not Verstappen's level as well. So I think this is why we're seeing the second Red Bull driver struggle so much. I think that car is very, very difficult to drive. Yeah, I was just going to agree with you with regards to your assessment of the characteristics of the car. It is inherently uncertain at the rear when it's being driven on the limit. Verstappen, uh, and we've seen him be very good in the rain, is pretty comfortable with that. Most drivers are not. And that's where you see some of that lap time going missing. Okay, so Perez had a bit of a challenge at the start. Once again, the optics of Pierre Gasly up ahead of him in that Toro Rosso. Yes, he's leading his team and they might well be developing more towards Pierre Gasly, but it's not good. You don't want the lead Toro Tauri person ahead of you as the second Red Bull driver. So the dynamic going into that first turn was absolutely fascinating and it lets us play a game. Whose fault is it? Oh, yes, here at Miss Apex Podcast, we like to assign blame. There's no such thing as a racing incident. We simply want to know who is most uh, at fault. Three cars alongside each other. We had uh, Sergio Perez getting a great start, actually, pulling alongside the Alpha Tauri of Gasly. And then we have the Alpine of Fernando Alonso around the outside. There's a, a Gasly sandwich. There is contact between Gasly and Alonso, Alon- uh, Gasly ends up getting a five-second penalty. Uh, Alonso is not very happy at all. Let's see, who do we go with first? Christian, whose fault is it? Uh, racing incident. Oh, idiot. No, yeah, he's I'm got, sorry. He's I'm got sorry. the game entirely wrong. He'll never come back again. I, I, I don't think it was a fair uh, fair penalty. I don't think at all. I, I, I think it was a shame for Alonso, but uh, that wasn't Gasly's mistake. Kyle, I agree with um, Christian. What's but, going on but, here? But there's a caveat here, and much oh. like I said, Norris was the catalyst for the crash in Hungary by nipping in front of Bottas and causing him to make the mistake. I think I don't think Perez's move up the inside was out of order. I think that was on. It was a legit move. That was fine. But he that was the catalyst for Gasly then understeering into Alonso. But if you've been reading the twitters like I have. I don't know why Alonso didn't just do a 5,000 IQ ratio thing is what the Twitterers say and just not bother with turn one and just go straight through the runoff area and stay. That's, yeah. That seems to be the done thing now. Well, I'm going to blame Alonso. What? You're all, what? Nut. You're all nuts. Okay, fine. I want to hear how this is Alonso's fault. Poor old Nobody Alonso. Nobody else is going to play. I'm going to play for all keeps. Right, let's hear your victim blaming. Go on then. Victim. Yeah, right. Okay. So here's the thing. In order to establish this point of view, I watched the onboards of Alonzo, Gasly, Perez, and then I thought, well, none of these is really giving me the information I need. Uh, Let's check out Norris. I think he was right behind the incident. And what I saw from Norris's onboard, first of all, it amazes me that the stewards would think that Perez's presence on the inside had no influence on Gasly. Because it so very, very clearly did. Gasly's entire angle into turn one was based on the fact that Perez was already well beside him and limited the angle to which he could turn into turn one. However, the person who arrived latest on that scene was actually Alonso. And he should have seen Perez on the inside, known Gasly was in the middle, 
And like he thought he could get clear around the outside because he had the overspeed before Gasly caught up to him. He was just wrong in his assessment of the situation. And that's why I'm going to say, like, yeah, I know he'd never get a penalty for it, but there's no way Gasly deserves one. And I put it on Alonzo there for just being a little bit too ambitious. Okay, one final point from Kyle before I correct these idiots. <laughs> um, I kind of, yeah, I agree there with um, Trump. It's, it's, it's a, wet, a wet start into downhill off camber turn one, notoriously tricky. It's a very risky move to put your car around the outside there. Um, he could have gone a bit wider, but the penalty I thought was insane. And I and going to some of the comments Alonso made earlier in the week, which were quite close to the line of let's see the nationalities before we get penalized. Yeah. He's been putting the knives into the FIA thing. And because it was Alonso they're coming off, maybe you could argue they wanted to penalize it because he's been throwing the knives into them recently. But generally I think that's crazy to penalize that. Like Gasly couldn't really do a lot more. And it's the first lap on a wet track. So I was amazed that they penalized it. Yeah. Alonso came very close to Eric Cantona levels, Manchester United footballer. When the, when the seagulls follow the trailer, it is because they think fish will fall out of the back. He was very close to those levels when he was trying to imply that basically nationality and, and, and who the driver is affects the stewards decisions. Now I think that is playing the referee a little bit. And like, if, if you're about to go and play Manchester United at Old Trafford, kick up a big fuss about how the referee's never, ever penalised because you're going to be the referee there and you get accused of, well, you're never going to penalise Manchester United at home. You go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I will. And then you do it. So I think Alonso was playing the referees. I don't think that was a factor. I don't think the stewards can be influenced by, by uh, Alonso doing that. But I think Matt is is definitely tripping on mushrooms to blame Alonso on looking at a couple of screen grabs here. Alonso is alongside way before the apex. He doesn't arrive late. In fact, I, I would argue that before the, the quote-unquote apex of turn one, Alonso is actually ahead. He's already there. He is present, Christian. I'm just going to put a small uh, end to it and say Alex Albon was on the, 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 the post show on uh, the F1 channel, which was a delight, by the way. I love that guy. Uh, and he said... I'm sure on the next racing meeting, in the next uh, driver's meeting, they're going to talk about this and everyone's going to disagree with that being a penalty. And he even got two points on his uh, license, uh, which, yeah, it's just unfair. To add absolute insult to injury, the same points that he got that Bottas got. And again, I thought, you know, Bottas, when he eliminated loads of cars, Gasly was completely caught in the middle. And I remember, I think it was the 2018 Baku Grand Prix in Sorokin, got nailed of a penalty in points in his license for a very similar incident. He was just picky in the middle. He was just stuck in the middle, couldn't do anything, and he got massively penalised for it, and it wasn't his fault at all. Right, guys, I think there's a few things you're missing here. You're blaming Alonso on the outside, who was ahead. You're blaming Perez on the inside. The, I will remove Perez from the line of inquiry. No, shut up, you're biased, because I see what you're saying about him being the catalyst. I see how he could have sparked off something in Gasly's head and Gasly was definitely reacting to Perez because Perez came, he had a line that suggested that Gasly's mere existence was an insult and there was nothing stopping him gonna, you know, I do not want uh, Alpha Tauri stopping my pace today from Perez. But Perez actually backed out. Perez actually slowed enough. You, you, You Watch it back. 
Perez slowed enough to take a real tight line. I can see how his original trajectory might have looked like it might have understeered and gone out, but Perez slowed down and took a tight line. There was a huge gap between Perez and Gasly by the time the contact with Alonso was made. This was not Perez doing. Uh, this was not uh, Perez forcing Gasly out into Alonso. Perez, uh, sorry, Gasly assumed that Perez was going to continue a trajectory. Or perhaps he understeered and moved out wide into Gasly. The penalty is justified. I don't know about the penalty points, but it is quite clear that Gasly just drove into Fernando Alonso with room on his inside. I disagree at the point at which Gasly had to turn in, because let's remember, we don't turn our steering wheel at the apex. We have to set that steering wheel well before we get there based on where Perez is and his exit. And if you look at where he wound up on his exit, Gasly turns in, doesn't move the wheel. So what we're talking about is exactly what Kyle was discussing. The nature and shape of that turn simply meant that the car itself understeered. Gasly didn't open the steering to try and squeeze Alonso. Oh, hang on. So you just said Gasly just understeered into Alonso. Great. Got it. Gasly picked the exit that kept him from turning into Perez, there was Alonso n- did not pick the exit that kept Gasly from kept him out of Gasly's path, and and Alonso was not by him when Gasly turned in. Carl, am I that wrong? That happened after. Am I wrong that Gasly had room on his left that he could have turned into, whether or not he thought he did? We, there was room there. You're not wrong, but their vision isn't very good. He knew there was a car there, and as soon as he <laughs> turned in, the front tires. Didn't, yeah. didn't bite. So as soon as he has turned in, the trajectory of his car was going where it ended up. He couldn't yeah. do anything else about that. He turned in. Okay, it was Alonso chancing it around the outside as well. I'm not going to blame Alonso either. I think this is the closest we can ever come to a racing accident. No, Mr. I don't want one. Christian. <laughs> I, think, I think you can look at it from a different perspective. There's never going to, especially on a damn track, there's never going to, going to be room for three cars going into turn one in Turkey. It's just not going to happen. So someone's going to yield. And if I was Alonso... He should have known there was no room there in the end. The end. All right. Well, okay. Agree to agree with me is the the feeling mm. I'm getting for that. Honestly, I, I I still when we first watched it, it looked like Gasly simply understeered into Alonso, and and I just cannot get away from that. To me, that that looks like the situation. I have some sympathy that he had a, a spooky. Perez on the inside and you look in the inside and go, well, Perez is not going to be very happy with me. And then you look on the outside and you go, oh, blimey, that's bloody, that's Alonso, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. So I can see how that's a difficult situation. And I do love to sit here and just, you know, judge race drivers when I'm terrible on even karting or a sim. But that is the point of whose fault it is. But Matt, that moves us on basically to the Perez. In fact, why am I talking to you? Let's talk to Kyle. Kyle, that battle between Perez and, and Hamilton. Firstly, Perez was clearly saving something. Before that battle, he was told to lift and coast. So they wanted him to have the tyres to fight. Super smart. 1,000 IQ from Red Bull. And and when it did actually happen, I think the reason that I didn't make a lot of noise and why my wife thought it was boring was because I took a big, deep breath. And then I I didn't breathe again for some time. (laughs) And uh, obviously, my fanboy loyalties were absolutely torn. I just, I wanted to... The only thing I didn't want to see was Perez somehow just clumsily understeering and punting Hamilton off on an easy overtake. But actually, the racing was, I mean, it was it was good. Oh, it was it was sublime. And if anything, I, it was Lewis almost clumsily understeering into Perez, which put them both out in the second part of the final three-corner complex. 
look like Lewis, a bit like um, Saints that we may get onto later against um, Vettel. It looked like Lewis just clipped the curb and went very wide, pushed Perez into the pit lane around the other side of the um, pit ball marker. This is like in table tennis when they play a ball from around the net and get onto the other side. Yeah. It was brilliant from Perez and Perez really, really got, got his elbows out. I didn't expect that much of a really fierce defence. And another really good thing that Perez did was not return the favour to Lewis into the final turn. He stopped it and did the point and squirt. He stopped it, got it rotated and left a load of room on the outside. The camera shot that we got looked like Lewis was going to go off the track, but Perez actually left Lewis so much room on the out, on the outside mm. of the final turn. And then into our friend, turn one, downhill, off camber, not on great tyres, offline and somehow did not fly off the track. Um, yeah, hats off Perez. Amazing, amazing defence. Um, and... I think Lewis was a bit shocked by that. I don't think he expected him to fight that hard. So at every point, Perez looked beat. Every exchange, Perez looked beat. And I think that's the thing that I was like, okay, oh, well, he's he's done well, but now it's, oh, (laughs) oh no, he's he's still there. And it's not like there was a a car advantage. What What I saw was a determination. And I think that's what a lot of Perez fans will will take heart in. Yeah, and what we also saw was he'd probably like another contract after next yeah. year as <laughs> yeah. well. So he scored some major brownie points there. Yeah. So I don't know, Christian, do you reckon was Hamilton too? Is this a case of, again, well, I'm not really fighting Paris for the championship. I don't want to trip over him. I don't know. It still looked pretty aggressive though. There was a couple of occasions really squeezed him and tried to put him in the pit lane inadvertently. I have a really hard time understanding what happened to the tyres uh, in these conditions and when you go too close to a car. I'm not sure if they overheated in the same way as normal dry tyres. And it's just, it it seemed, it seemed like a different way to mm. approach and overtake in these conditions on this track in this race. Okay. Yeah, go on. So I'm, not, I'm not really sure what... Uh, I think everyone had to rethink their approach in this race when they had to do the overtaking. So I think uh, I'm, I'm not really sure what was going on and why why things didn't happen as it did. Well, I would disagree. I think Hamilton was absolutely racing Perez for the championship, and I think Perez absolutely knew it. After all, he was making the room for Verstappen to pit and not get tangled yeah. up behind Hamilton. And that's why that battle was so critical. I'd love to hear the radio to Perez before that. I would love to hear that. I'm sure there'll be some videos coming out <laughs> soon because I bet it was something along the lines of, as Matt just said, this is critical. Do everything you have to do. These next, if you can keep him behind for three laps, this is critical for our race at, at the front. Do you reckon there's some deal struck? They're like, Checo, if you hold Hamilton up, if you can keep him behind you, we will never make you two-stop again. Like, we'll never, you can run as long as you want and what we'll just do is we'll just, we'll, we'll put softs on one lap from the end and he's like, okay, understood. Um, I'll do that. But what, what, are the, what a win for F1 that battle was, Matt. It just... You know, I'm biased as two, two of my favourite drivers, but just just glorious. And, and, and then someone in our Slack group said, if, they, if anyone gives a penalty, if the FIA give a penalty for any of that, I'm going to burn my TV. I think that was Richard there in our, our Slack chat. And, and the FIA, to be fair, they didn't. Matt first, then Christian. Yeah, and I, when I watched it, I was just like, I, 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 my mouth, my jaw was on the floor. Because every turn I was like, oh, Hamilton's, oh no. Oh, Perez, oh no. Oh, Hamilton. Oh, my. Oh, Perez. Oh, my. And then all the way down to turn one, you're thinking, oh, Hamilton's got this. And then, no, no, he doesn't. In fact, Perez managed to make it another whole lap. I could not believe it. 
And that could be, Christian, that could be real, like, critical in the championship as well now. Well, I think uh, the radio to Paris from uh, Red Bull would be hold on to this. There's a big cake waiting for you in the mm. garage. I think the, the call to Hamilton, uh, all the things in his head would say, think about the championship. This is Red Bull drivers. Um, if I have to pass these guys, they might run me off. I have to think about the championship. I, I saw a lot of that in, in Hamilton's driving today. Oh, sorry, Carl. I've just seen on Twitter that Red Bull have actually given Perez a, his own windmill and some daffodils as a as a reward. Oh, wow. doing that. Yeah, just how kidding. lovely! Yeah. Um, I was actually quite surprised at how forceful and aggressive Lewis was actually being, considering yeah. considering it it was Perez. You know, Perez was the one who almost got pushed into the pit lane again. I don't think Lewis meant to go that wide. I think he just clipped the curb and he just understood really, really um why. Wide into, but it was Lewis being very, very forceful and prepared to put his car on the outside of a Red Bull on a wet, slippery track. I think Lewis was taking risks. He knew that was critical for his race and he was very much taking risks. All right, Matt, quick note. Where do we stand on the Ferrari McLaren championship? Because McLaren have looked in the ascendancy, but wow, my goodness, Ferrari, they, they looked like a team that isn't sliding towards a McLaren 2013-type <laughs> type plummet down the grid? Uh, no, uh, I'd say they are fairly pleased with the performance of the new hybrid element of their power unit. And uh, I can happily report to you that they are an entire 7.5 points back of McLaren in the battle for third. And, right, so if you're a McLaren fan, you should probably know this is one of the worst tracks for McLaren that they will see to the end of the season, I would think. But even still, if I'm a McLaren fan, I'm going to be a little bit worried about how Ferrari drove today and, and, and be concerned about whether or not my team can hang on to the end of the season. Carl? Oh, yeah. Um, I agree. I think Ferrari's particularly... Yeah, with their new ERS upgrade and everything, they are looking really good. I think McLaren's Achilles heel in this is going to be a bit of a hot and cold Daniel Ricciardo. So some weekends he seems to get it and get right on the pace. Other weekends he seems to struggle more. And it looks like both the Ferrari drivers are performing at the top of their game. So I think that could, might be the deciding factor, but I'm inclined to agree with Matt. I think Ferrari may just have the momentum now until the end of the season. All right, we've covered quite a lot of uh, ground there. We had two distinct battles to be talking about and quite a few uh, little things up and down the track. Uh, we when's, when's Cota? Is that next? Is it Austin? That's next. When When is that? Two weeks, I think. Oh, okay. So we've got next Sunday. What I suggest is next Sunday, then we do a nice little pickup show and talk about the state of the, the championship and uh, and maybe catch anything that we've missed. But I think we have covered a lot of ground. There's There's two... Whose fault is this is is that I think we should pick up just before the podium? Whose fault is it? <laughs> okay, here we go. Alonso. Alonso. Oh, poor old Alonso. The stewards, they, they penalise him and no one else. He gets all of the bad things and none of the good things. I'll go first on this one. He drives up behind uh, Mick Schumacher. He has been robbed... By, by the evil Pierre Gasly, as we've established, as we all agreed in the previous Whose Fault Is It? And he was entitled to get past a much faster Haas of Mick Schumacher and, and took the inside line that was ordained to him 
by the gods of F1. And it was just, it was Mick Schumacher's pure audacity, Matt, to take the corner that led to that accident. I, and, I, and I, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's Mick's fault, 100%. Yeah, I mean, frankly, the call should have been, oh, Alonso is within uh, three laps of you. You should just pit until he's passed. Yeah. Therefore, it's Schumacher's fault. Yeah, yeah could you I totally just see that. pull over? It's a, it's a tough one, isn't it, Christian? I think Alonso was, was definitely on tilt. He was full of, oh, my God, I've been, I've been robbed here and I must make my way back up front. Did anyone say it was uh, Schumacher's fault? Yeah, me. I'm blaming Schumacher for, oh, okay. for taking okay, the corner. Way. How dare he uh, take I, the corner? I, I thought you said someone actually had that argument. No. But uh, I, I, it's a common thing when you're a racing driver and you just spun uh, and you had a good start and someone spun you off and you just want to go for it and there's a has, get out of the way because you know you're faster, blah, blah, blah. And stuff like that happen. This happens. But it's usually not something you see from Alonso, though. I was a bit surprised by that. And yeah. he hocked him afterwards, by the way. Oh, did he? Oh, okay. That's nice. Yeah, he did. I like that. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a punt, if ever I've seen one or not. A, a, a punt <laughs> born out of frustration and maybe a slight lack of respect for the people at the back of the field. No, it was it's, that. Cole, you're absolutely right. It was a complete lack of respect for the Haas because he was like, oh, I should be past you. So I'm going to just, yeah. I'm just going to come through. Yeah, I'm just going to send it and you will jump out of the way. But he didn't. And, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, just unfortunate. Um, it's nice to hear that Alonso went and apologised or hugged afterwards and just said, yeah, sorry, it's all heat. And again, when you hear people, drivers on the radio, like he's like, like Gasly off in the first corner, he wouldn't have known he had a car on the inside. It's all heat at the moment stuff. So yeah, he's lost his head temporarily and yeah. just gone for a crazy move. It happens to everybody. You can't throw him under the bus too much, but he got penalised for it. And I don't think he's going to be moaning about this one. It sounds like he knew then, Matt. Yeah, well, if you looked at the onboard, you could see exactly how locked up his wheels were as he punted Schumacher off. And the only real defense I could offer is the old man defensive. I just got confused and thought Schumacher had been ordered to crash on my behalf. I'm not touching that one. I'm not touching that one with a borrowed barge pole, guys. The other whose fault <laughs> is it was Carlos Sainz. Sort of, I think this is quite simple. You know, he understeered into Vettel but not enough for it to be like a major issue. Oh, so issue. now understeering into other cars is perfectly acceptable. I'll make a note of that. <laughs> oh, nice. You win this battle, trumpets, but the war is not over. Okay, well, this was, this was, a, this was a, a bit more of a, a kind of like a twitch in the braking zone. So Vettel at first was going to fight him, and full credit to Vettel, he seemed to look to, look to the left and go, that car isn't, in his control as I thought it was going to be when I started the manoeuvre and actually opened up a hell of a lot. And then, but science was just, just that little bit out of control, Carl. Yeah. It was self-preservation mode from Vettel. You've got this, um, you've got this instinct when you know someone's overtaking on the inside to give a little bit more room and he would have seen him looming. I think it would have been absolutely fine if science hadn't have just touched the curb on the inside. He, he clonked the curb and then lost the rear. As soon as he clonked the curb, had to correct it. And that's what threw him wide into Vettel. Luckily, it was wheel-to-wheel contact and nothing yeah. bad came of it. I think it was investigate. Was it investigating yeah, no further. further action? Yeah, no further yeah. action, yeah. He hit because... the curb. It wasn't intentional. Um, it was science fault, but nothing bad came of it. So yeah. that's not a racing incident. It's science fault, but it was okay. In the so, end. so whilst I'm generally supportive of the FIA, uh, their new regime, regime in general and Liberty Media, this... 
some this 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 dogged resilience to acknowledge racing incidents is is just really really turniping me off. I'm really annoyed. They're idiots when they say that. Okay, good. Let's go to the podium. Well, I hope you're enjoying Miss Apex podcast, the podcast that is free just well because of a lack of imagination. If we charged you all five pounds a month to come and watch Miss Apex podcast, you wouldn't. Miss Apex is free, always will be. But like the annoying uh, circus juggler performer people in uh, P- in Piccadilly Circus. You think you're enjoying a nice free thing in the park on your nice day out and then I come around with a hat and I try and guilt trip you into contributing. And the reason those street performers do it is because if they didn't pass the hat around, they simply wouldn't be able to spend the time doing it. It's a very similar situation here. So I do say if you like what we're doing and you want to support us and encourage that kind of behaviour, go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. The link is in the show notes. The idea is it's a small amount of, of money every month like a micropayment and then uh, we will try and do things to to make that worth your while Uh, the smallest tier you get an ad free feed because we do also supplement our audio feed with ads and uh, at the five dollar tier you can come and join us in the patron slack group and get the extra content which i will warn you now is worse so we actually we had a good show actually on friday matt our friday live stream pre-race show was good we made a new friend from china chester it was really you good did? to get that perspective yeah i enjoyed that and and i do love the shows because we talk about f1 but we talk about more than just f1 and so life it's very nice. as well yeah no it's uh, less focused worse content but patreon.com forward slash mistakes it's not really like you're buying that but if you support us we do do our best to make supporting us worthwhile and if no one had supported us we wouldn't be doing this we wouldn't be where we are today Okay. How does so, one qualify to get on the patron? Well, well, oh, you can just be on the. You you want to be on it? You can be on it. And the, the reason I want you on there is I want to hear about you and your life as like an international superstar DJ as well. Okay. So we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about you mixing. You know, you know uh, Kevin Mambo on Ibiza, right? No. As, an, uh, as a British guy, no. You don't know Kevin Mambo in, I'm not in cool. Ibiza. No. Sorry. Radio One, Pete Tong, Judge oh, Ju, hang on. Is that all BBC? those guys. Right. Yeah. Yes, I definitely know all the people at the BBC. Okay, we can talk about that. But I have racing stuff I'd rather talk about. Oh, okay. Yes, good. Come we and can join talk us. about it all. Come and join us. I'm on ready the, when you are. On the Patreon podcast. It's always a bit more relaxed and we do get to know the panellists a, a little better. This is the part of the show where we give out awards. So the first thing we do is the thing of the weekend. This is where we're going to be super positive. There, there is a bad thing award coming up as well, where we get to be super negative about uh, the people at the very top of their industry, and we get to judge them from our shed. But the good thing award, let's start with Kyle. Kyle, you're such a bubbling fissure of, of positivity. You're, um, you're an enigma wrapped in a lizard skin. That's what, that's what you are. You've got long hair and your evil beard. You would be the bad guy in any movie, and you're surrounded by reptiles. Yet... Mm-hmm. You have a heart of, I would say, zinc. I, I, like not gold. That would be I'd be exaggerating, but like zinc or like tin or something like that. Uh, so, what is your thing of the weekend? Oh, at I'm Kyle Power F one. Sorry, at Kyle Power F one on Twitter. Yeah, that's the one. You're yep. saying I'm like a pound shop saint. Yeah, kind of like a real like entry level 
you've gone too high with Saint, even though. Uh, yeah, an entry level nice-ish guy. What's so your... my so my thing of the weekend. This is the good thing, right? Like like the good thing. The good the thing. The fact that we were at the Turkish Grand Prix again, and there might be a long contract coming. This is one of Tilka's finest tracks. It is a brilliant track. Um, I kind of just want to see a straight, boring, dry race now there on it with, without inclement weather because we haven't seen one yet. And it came yeah. about by chance. So I think that's a huge success story. It was one of the positive things to come from COVID was we ended up going back to Turkey and now it looks like we're going to stay there at Turkey for the foreseeable future, which I think is was my thing of the weekend. I'm over the moon with that. Had it not been for the pandemic turkey possibly wasn't in consideration so it is lovely that it's come back it is it really is a, a, a great track i do love that okay good mm-hmm. christian what's your thing of the weekend if you if you if you take perez's defense of hamilton i will cut you i'm not going to take that actually i've written down the exact same thing carl <laughs> just said oh Tur- okay. the turkey track it's just so it's it's racing dna that track but i'm gonna pick another one okay i'm gonna say alex Albon back in formula one uh after seeing him on the show the the post ratio yeah and just his nature uh he he did an interview with uh, lando norris on the show and when lando left he was like good to see you again and he was like well not really or he made some funny comment and the whole vibe was just so <laughs> relaxed and chilled and he had great insights as well i like that guy and uh, he's my thing of the week I know excellent that's a bit boring no, it's fine. Matt, do rumpets. What's your thing of the weekend? Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Fine. Mm. My thing of the weekend uh. is going to be Ocon. <laughs> going the full yard on the tires. And what no one talked about or covered was the last lap battle he had with Giovinazzi after Giovinazzi got past Ricardo and caught him up the entire last lap. Giovinazzi was like inside of a second with him on those tires. It was amazing to watch, even if I only got to see it on the timing screens. Do you hear yourself? My <laughs> thing of the weekend is Ocon's battle with Giovinazzi in the in the the white shed at the back. What's on go- fifty eight lap old tires in a feat that's not been seen for uh, twenty four years. Yeah, okay. What, I mean, I feet? think that's a reasonable thing. Besides which, you didn't let me pick the thing I was originally going to pick, which is what you're going to take now. So there. Okay, we'll edit that bit out as well. My thing of the weekend is Perez's <laughs> awesome uh, defense of, of Lewis Hamilton. And just seeing that result, I, I know it was kind of robbed a little bit of a, a result with that coin flip uh, in, in Sochi. Someone in our live chat said, when I mentioned about Perez's determination, said that, that determination is like the main reason to to support Sergio Perez. And, and that is what I, I loved in the McLaren days as well when it wasn't going well, when he was being called a lunatic for daring to try and overtake the Kim, great Kimi Raikkonen uh, at, at Monaco. But there, there has always been a, a determination there. There's always been uh, some smarts. And, and those things were used today. Please just sort out Saturday. So that's what, that's what I'm giving out as my thing of the weekend. Oh, this is the bad thing award. This is where we get to be mean. Oh, no, you missed the apex. All right. Can I go first on this, too? Is that okay? I'm well, that giving, way we can't steal the one you were about to say. I'm going to give my missed apex award to Lewis Hamilton. I was really, really, really super duper duper disappointed. I understand there's emotions on radio. I understand that the the stream picks Lewis Hamilton's radio broadcast because they are, they're gold and they're the best value. I do. But he spent a lot of time 
in after the Russian Grand Prix, really praising the team for, for their call and the trust. He praised them, but then in that situation, they were right. He resisted it. He trusted them as he came in. He was still complaining on the way in, to be fair, but he trusted them. Today, it was the same, except that he made a firmer call to stay out. The team insisted eventually. And as we know, I think, I think we're all in agreement that they should have either pitted not at all and gone for it. In hindsight, you look at... Yeah, I know, Christian, I'm saying, but in hindsight, we know that wasn't the thing. But if you look at the two calls that were available, it was either pit when Perez pit and just race Perez on, on merit or go long and, and see that strategy through. They were stuck in no man's land. But I was, I was disappointed with then Hamilton kind of going, but I told you. that That's the line that disappointed me. I'm a Hamilton fan. Please don't at me. The, the I told you that this would happen. That's not... That's not a correct way to, I think, to reward the team for, for making a, a legitimate call, Kyle. And what it did is it put the whole Mercedes PR machine on the defensive afterwards. So that that's my missed Apex award is just Lewis Hamilton putting Mercedes on the back foot for what may have been a wrong call. But actually, I think they also might have saved him from binning it in the wall as well or having a tyre explode too we with the the Pirelli guys were saying that they were thinking about advising the teams to pit that's that's my that's my disappointment today is because it's just the I told you I didn't like it that's fair enough and yeah I agree and I'm glad that we can talk about the decision now the Mercedes pit decision again as I said in my defense of um, Alonso when he was saying about Gasly and stuff on the team radio it's heat of the moment stuff let's not forget that a couple of weeks ago Lando was shouting no at his team like petulantly on the radio mm. drivers do but yeah it was a bit disappointing from Lewis he was angry Lewis fully wanted to take the gamble he fully wanted yeah. to, to gamble it but Mercedes were in pure risk assessment mode all of their risks were just flashing up red on the screen they're like we can't do it because it wasn't only the delamination problem they were looking at it was the big black cloud hanging overhead as well and if it would have started to even spit with rain slightly harder than it was it would have been a disaster and he was in a very real risk of losing all points. But I genuinely think that if he had stayed out, and this is why he was so angry, I think he had a fighting chance to try to hang on to third. He had a chance and that's why he was angry that he had the chance taken away from him. It was a very small chance, but he had that chance. There was also a chance of zero points. Exactly. With that chance came a much bigger chance of ending up with nothing and an omelette on your face. So he, they saved him. They saved him from omelette, but he was very, very, very angry. So I kind of understand his anger on yeah, the radio, course, but I understand yeah. why you've given him that as well. I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, the haters are going to be loving this, absolutely loving his radio calls, and it's fair enough, really. I am surprised because to me, the real mistake was not hitting Hamilton the moment he got ahead of Perez. Because I think at that point, they could have undercut Perez, who finished on what position? Third. Third. Yeah. Right behind who? Verstappen. Okay. I'm confused when you say when he got past Perez, because Perez just pitted out of the out of the way of him, didn't he? Did he pit out of the way of him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, he did, right. yeah. Then then I missed that. So so if, even if, yeah, if Hamilton had pitted, even following him in yeah. to continue exactly, the battle. Exactly, yeah. To continue the battle. I think that's that yeah. that would have been the one in hindsight. Or, or go with Lewis Hamilton's all or nothing tactic and Mercedes are looking at the the points at zero is a lot less than whatever it was today, 10. So I'm going to go against that. Okay. Um, 
And I think there's a there's a very solid reason for Hamilton using that language, putting it uh, in those words and that manner. In 2007, his uh, debut year, he lost the championship by this exact thing, and the team didn't listen to him. And he was a rookie, and that is, I mean, yeah, that was the other way around. To- that was yeah, the other way exactly. around, wasn't it? yeah. And uh, that race, Raikkonen won, and uh, Alonso came second. And those were the two he was battling with. He lost it by one point. So he would have won the championship in his first year. If he, so that is probably in his head, in the back mm. of his head. And this is basically the same situation. And Ocon did actually, I know, uh, look at his uh, all the couch professors out there and his tire and so forth. <laughs> but he did finish the race in yeah. the points, which he wouldn't have if he had pitted. So I'm going to go out on a limp and say, if anyone could do this, it was going to be Lewis Hamilton in Turkey, his yeah. probably one of his best tracks ever. So uh, the, my not thing of the week is going to go to uh, to the team not listening to Hamilton or instead being proactive and say, okay. pit when we say. Mistake it's one of the mistakes. Carl, the one thing I think I want to put to bed is people saying, well, what if you'd have listened to him to the Merck call eight laps earlier? I think at that point we were already in the no man's land. Still, so I, I don't. I, that's not a criticism. I true, I'm, true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think this is why he was so angry because he thought in his head that they'd already fully committed to going to the end. Like we're going to the end, we're doing it, and then they mm. pitted in, like you say, no man's land. They ended up with n- not a chance to go forward and a very real risk of still slipping back. But he did manage to hold on to it. But I, I'm with Christian. I personally think he would have had a very good chance of of holding on to it. And all the commentary team remember at the time. Button and um, Crofty were both saying, we think Lewis has done the right call here. At the time, mm. it looked like the right call. So all we can do is make the call at that time for the right thing for you at that very moment or completely trust in your team. And it's clearly at that moment, he trusted in himself more than he did his team. All right, Matt. So here's, here's I'm going to put it. Here's I'm going to put it. The uh, Mercedes were wrong to not pit when Perez pitted. Obviously, this is all in hindsight. hindsight. Probably wrong again when they first told Hamilton to pit because that at that point it was too late but actually i i really think it was the correct call in the end because it was just him too risky it's him too risky what they they were doing there so i would have gone with the mercedes call at the end there also worth pointing out ocon finished a lap down on those tires yeah so that would have been a whole extra lap at higher speeds and i i do want to get to the one thing about lap 42 if he'd come in then he would have beaten leclerc for sure. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That's one gained place right there. Yeah. The, the Leclerc factor was unfortunate, but the entire race, pretty much all of it, I was saying t- in my head, it w- Hamilton was fighting Perez. That was really the only thing of note. And by not taking those decisions at the right time, the, the only place they really lost was the, the one to Leclerc, and then they didn't gain the one to Perez. Uh, Kyle, actually, can we move on from this? Do you mind, Kyle? Um, you haven't given us your Miss Apex Award yet. Okay, yeah, so my my missed Apex Award is the broadcasters for these um for these start <laughs> replays on yeah, lap okay, yeah. one, on yeah. lap two. Please stop it. <laughs> it's really, really frustrating. And for my neighbor's sake more than anything, please stop it because I tend to shout at the TV uh, a lot. I wonder if or at is... least do a picture in picture thing yeah. where you can still yeah. follow the race. That's that's the minimum you can do. I strongly suspect that that there's a lot of because of a certain publications putting a lot of pressure on oh f1 is boring and it doesn't settle in and you know it's not explosion straight away 
we know F1 has a tactical stall in stint one. And, and a lot of fans appreciate that because they know that there's like a cat and mouse and they're shaping up. Do you spend your tyres? Do you not spend your tyres? But there's the pressure to go, oh, my God, fill this airtime. There's no overtakes happening. Fill this airtime. But so there was saying, overtakes today. <laughs> yeah. So we're saying that a short, like, race length, like the opening stint of a race, is a yeah. really bad idea for Formula One. Yeah. No, I think... Maybe? I, oh, who would have thought? I think the F1 community is glomming on to why exactly the sprint races are not exactly kicking off. Matt, what's your missed Apex award? Uh, it's got to be Vettel going on to the medium tyre. I mean, because yeah. I missed like literally every apex on the track as he tried to get around and even missed the apex in the pit lane too. <laughs> Good. And I think we've, uh, I think we've probably covered the pony. It's difficult to send that anywhere else in Hamilton's direction, which we've already covered today. Were there any other ponies out there? Kyle. Um, I, I want to give the Pony Award. I might be unpopular here because everybody absolutely adores him. But um, Kimi Raikkonen, for the way he spoke to his mechanics in Friday practice. About um, the drink. It was just <laughs> the drink. It was just, but it was really condescending. It was really, really not very nice. Like the simplest part in the car and you can't fix this. And just imagine if a Yuki Tsunoda would have said that. Just imagine yeah. if Hamilton. some yeah. and other drivers would have said that. And I'm also my... My my pony will goes to quite a lot of publications and broadcasters and commenters online with a lot of following were praising him for it, whereas they'll yeah, easily yeah. throw somebody yeah, yeah, else yeah, under the bus for saying much lesser stuff. So also, my mistake is for the hypocrisy of it all. Lack of understanding of engineering, but uh, it's the difference between design engineering and uh, being like an on-site engineer, as you and I both know, Kyle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter how complex the system is. It's it's as fiddly and as much a part of constructing and maintaining the car to install a gearbox as it is to put in the pipes for the drink. I'm not saying the drink is harder than installing a gearbox or an engine, but it's it's not it's not quite as black and white as Kimmy was making it out to be. And, I, and he hadn't made it easy for them by telling them that he'd unplugged the drinks nozzle from his helmet, so they were struggling to fill it up while there was an airlock. Again, sort of um, telepathy isn't something <laughs> in an engineer's um, repertoire of skills. So simply because uh, we are running low on time, we are going to do comment of the week at the end of the live stream and it will be included on the Patreon broadcast. It's just because we've gone to the hour and 40 minute mark. Uh, Christian Pedersen does not do social media yet. We're trying to bully him into doing it. So please go to his house. It's at uh, 240 Viking Street in, <laughs> That's uh, true. in That's Alaru. True. You're yeah. all welcome. Exactly. Go and, go and see him for... A bowl of school or something, something like this. And uh, I don't know. Go and see Kyle. Go and visit his lizards. You can see him at Kyle Power F One. He likes a he likes a rant on there. So go and follow him. Matt is at Matt PT fifty five on Twitter. You can follow him and his wife by following the links in the show notes below. Go and go and check out uh, Amanda's books and see if one of them occurs to you. In the show notes below, you will see a way to support us on Patreon, a way to go and check out Matthew Carter's Vancouver Epre and the links to all the people on the panel. We'll catch up with you on Sunday. We'll do a new show. We'll pick up anything we've missed. We'd love to hear from you. My DMs are always open. Disagree with me all you like. Just please be like a, just a teeny bit polite and, uh, and, and nice and try not. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. To flame people in our replies, you can email me spanners at mistapex.net. Good. Well, wherever we see you next, um, hope you enjoy the post-race melee on social media. And I would just ask that you work hard, be kind, and have fun this was Mist Apex Podcast. Wow. After a rubbish start, that show was broadly fine. I think we we picked up. We had a difficult first ten minutes. But after that, it was okay. It was just a contact with Gasly. Other than that, it was perfect. Yeah, you, yeah, it was honestly you guys all embarrassed yourselves there. I I've never seen such ignorance in whose fault is this. But thankfully, I was on hand to correct you.